Welcome to the Constructing Greatness Podcast, where I will be sharing real stories with inspiring tradesmen and many other driven and passionate leaders in construction and various other industries. I'm your host, Nicholas Ofak, and I've been in the construction business since 1996 as a construction manager and have worked for some of the largest builders in the United States. I'm now a business owner entrepreneur, and partner in a firm where we've successfully managed to be listed on the Inc. 5000, America's fastest growing private companies, three years in a row. The main purpose of this podcast is to inspire and create awareness about the value of working in the trades and to educate about the great benefits and rewarding opportunities it can create. Are you ready to take this fun journey with me? Let's do it. Did you know that you should never use paints or coatings on brick, block, stone, or mortar? It's because it needs to breathe. Instead, you can stain it to any color that you'd like, and yes, even the mortar too. Staining is 100% maintenance-free and permanent, unlike coatings. So why don't more people know about it? We wondered the same thing. M&N Masonry Staining is a South Jersey contractor that has partnered with the oldest brick staining manufacturer in the United States and is certified to use their proprietary products and over 45 years of staining knowledge. M&N is scheduling residential and commercial building estimates now. For more information, call Nick at 856-217-1750 or follow M&N Masonry Staining on any social media platform. I am stoked to have today's guest on the podcast. He's one of my favorite podcasters and entrepreneurs, and I'm proud to also call him a friend. He's the founder and host of The Chris Harder Show, where his tagline is, when good people make good money, they can do great things. Chris Harder. Welcome to my show, man. <laughs> Nick, brother, how you doing, man? So good to see you. It's so good to see you too. And it's an honor to have you here and, and I'm ready to jam out with you, buddy. No, the honor is all mine. Plus, anytime I get to, you know, give you a little bit of garbage about your eagles, even though I just complimented you on them, I'll take that opportunity. <laughs> this is coming from a Green Bay fan. Yeah, I bleed. I bleed green and gold. Now, it's been a tough year. Like, we've been spoiled for a while, so it's been a tough year. Yeah, Definitely. Well, hey, man, I want to first say, I believe you had your birthday recently. Happy birthday. Yeah, 46. Appreciate that. How was that? You know, it was great. It was really interesting. My family and my friends were asking, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to throw a party? No, you know, life's busy. I just want to chill. Do you want to go to a, a great restaurant? Should we make reservations somewhere? Mm-hmm. No, I really just want to be in with the people I love. And so I said to my mom, you know, my mom uh, lives out in, in Arizona by our Arizona home in winters, Wisconsin in summers. And uh, so I said to mom, I said, listen, I want you to just make a taco bar and I just want to play games with the people I love and have a super chill evening. And that was the best birthday ever. Love it, man. Love it. Taco bars. Whew. That's one of my favorites. Right. Hard to turn one down. So I just want to just go back and just just talk a little bit about, about how we met. We met through a mutual friend who's an entrepreneur podcaster as well, Kyle Depius. He had one of his guys trip events, which, mm-hmm. which is where we met. And, and I've since been doing a few of them. And, uh, it was really cool to, uh, it's actually, it was, it was in Green Bay. It was in your yeah. home, your hometown. And we did a little golfing at Whistling Straits. That was, that was cool. 
It is a great time. And I learned you're one heck of an athlete. You're my new inspiration for staying in shape, dude. Well, I appreciate it. I really do. It was funny. Um, remember Cam? We were supposed to like do a pros versus Joe's kind of thing. And he was going to be the pro, right? The retired pro. None of us stood a chance against him getting across that goal line. All of a sudden, dude pulls his hammy, game over. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the fun thing about getting together with guys like that. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what kind of relationship you're going to form. You never know what kind of bonds you're going to create, right? First, we became friends, went from strangers to becoming friends, from friends to you're an investor in, in Frello now. Who knows what the future holds for us? And that's that's why you got to put yourself out there and, and just throw yourself into those those other groups where you have a chance of expanding your circle. Absolutely, man. Yep, you're talking. Uh, yeah, you're talking my language. And and these trips that Kyle does, I mean, that's where you meet them, you know. And and the things that you're doing too, which we'll which we'll talk about some new things you're doing. And also, there's the summit of greatness. My business partner, I think, met you in 2018. I missed that one. I, in 2019 is when I went. And, um, you know, was, was introduced. Well, actually was supposed to meet the Murgatroyds there. I don't think they made it though, but ended up doing their, uh, masterminds. That's the connection with the Murgatroyds too. Man, they're, tell you what, shout out to Kyle, shout out to the Murgatroyds. We've got some pretty great people that end up pulling us together. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I want to go back to your college days. You know what this podcast is all about. So you, you spent a, about what, two and a half years at St. Northbert College. Where is that exactly? Northbert College, a tiny little private school just outside of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, you know, it's one of those schools that they'll almost let anybody in if you're willing to pay the, the high, you know, tuition. Yeah, leave it to me to spend two and a half years there just partying and messing up and and finally got booted out of there. And I said, listen, we don't even want your, we don't want your tuition. You're not welcome <laughs> back next year. And it's funny, the very last semester, Right before that happened, I didn't buy a single book. I didn't go to a single class, not one. So the writing was on the wall. And I remember my parents were devastated, Nick, devastated. Like, I, you know, middle middle class, Midwest upbringing, you think you got to go to college or your life is over, right? Especially when you're growing up in the 90s. And so my parents were devastated. What did you do? I can't believe you did this. And I remember being excited. They're like, why are you excited that you got booted out of college? I said, because I just want to be out participating in the economy. I didn't want to be here to, to begin with. I sabotaged this. You know, at the time, I wasn't waking up every day saying, hey, I'm sabotaging this. But looking back on it, I can see I was clearly sabotaging my time there because I didn't want to be there. I already knew at a young age, I just wanted to be out participating in the economy. So what happened was my parents said, well, what are you going to do next? I said, don't worry, I got a plan. I'm going to go get a job at a car dealership, you know, because I loved cars at the time. And I thought, ah, these guys make a lot of money if they do real well, you know, 21 years old. Why not? So I got a job at a Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership. And after my training, they had a pretty good training program there. After my training, I ended up climbing to the top salesman, not 25 salesman in just my fourth month. So all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute. I think this was a good choice. Like I kind of know what I'm doing here. and Fast forward, ended up getting promoted to the finance department where you're kind of selling warranties and selling financing and all that stuff. Then I ended up running that department. And so in just a short year and a half to almost shy of two years, I climbed the ranks to really quickly at a young age. And I learned two things that I used forever, Nick. I learned sales and I learned leadership. And if you can go get real world experience learning sales and real world experience with leadership, the younger, the better. You're going to be able to write your ticket anywhere that you want to go. And, and I've leaned on those two crutches 
with every venture, with every job, with every business, with everything that I've done. You know, and, and you never know who's going to make a big difference in your life, right? We're just talking about how you and I met circumstantially and, and who knows what our future holds. Well, back then, there were two gentlemen. Now, they'll never be celebrated on a podcast. They'll never be a guest on a podcast. They'll never be known on social media. None of that, right? Just two regular dudes that really saw something special in me and were advocates for me to succeed and took me under their wing and said, hey, do this, say this, and give me feedback and gave me a chance. And one of them put his job on the line. He was in, in senior management, put his job on the line when it came time to choose who was going to run that finance department when an opening uh, occurred. His name was Ron Vigil. And uh, he said, I'm willing to bet my career that Chris is the right choice to the owners of the dealership. So they gave me a shot and it made a big difference, man, right? Like I crushed it in that department. And so I'm, I'm telling you, life has a funny way of taking you down a path that is probably very unconventional. But if you're willing to make the most out of that path, then you can end up wherever it is that you want to end up, especially when you meet a couple of good guys along the way. Good stuff. And that's really what this is. This is an unconventional path, not the conventional you know, path that, that most people believe is the only one for them, right? They're taught that from grandparents, parents, college, college, college. And this podcast is about other ways to make a good living. And you're an ideal guest in the entrepreneurial world. And I want to talk about just your progression and how you got to there and to where you're at. So after college, you do the Ford dealership thing. And then you became vice president at HSBC. Was that yeah, the next Yeah, I didn't step? jump right into a vice president role, right? So so here's kind of the natural progression. I'm going to give a few details because I really want people to understand it doesn't have to look a certain way. And it sure as hell is going to have a lot of bumps along the road. So I'm crushing it at the dealership, but I've got this entrepreneurial spirit all the way back then. So I tried this little side business. I, I, I went somewhere. I forgot where it was. One of these like little charity things. You put a quarter in, you take a junior mint, right? Or a, a, what do you call it? A peppermint patty. And I said, like, wait, this should be a whole vending system, an on your honor vending system. So I had hundreds of these on your honor uh, vending boxes built. My dad actually built them for me and uh, went out to businesses, offices, stores. Said, hey, let me put this in your snack room. Let me put this in your break room. And I tied it to a charity, right? I picked a charity and I said, hey, 10% of the proceeds is going to go to a charity. So I would place these boxes full of snacks. Now, remember, there's no mechanics to this whatsoever. People could just take the money right out. They could take a snack and object. I just thought people would, you know, do the right thing. So I placed a couple hundred of these things. It took me a while. And then I'd go around. And I'd service these things. Snacks are missing. Put them back in. Take any money out of the thing. Well, I learned real quickly that uh, humans have a funny way of accounting for what they take. Now, I don't believe that most people were trying to steal from these things. What I really believe is that most people said, hey, I'm going to grab these chips and I'll pay it back later. And the next day, hey, I'm going to grab this candy bar. That's right. I owe for some chips. I don't have any cash on me. I'll get it tomorrow. The next day, I'm going to grab, you know, one of these protein bars and, and I'll pay it back. And then at the end of the week, they do their funny human math that we all do. Yeah, I probably owe this thing five bucks. And they put a $5 bill in there when, when really it was probably $20 with the snacks that they grabbed over the course of a week or two, right? So I learned that whether humans are good or whether humans are just bad at accounting, you can't trust humans to do the right thing. And that thing just absolutely folded as a total collapse. But it was my first shot at trying to come up with something from scratch, making it happen. I remember I was really proud that I got a couple hundred of these things placed and experimenting with, hey, what works, what doesn't? 
And when you get knocked down, you've got to figure out what your next thing is, right? So at this time, everybody was just starting to get into this mortgage boom that was happening. Now, for context, this was 1999-ish. And a lot of my friends had gotten into mortgage mortgage lending, that kind of thing, and they're making a ton of money. So, well, I want I want access to that kind of money. So I went and I talked my way in to an interview at HSBC. And the guy, his name was Todd. Todd interviewed me. And when I got in there, he said, hey, man, listen, I kind of had my guy picked out already, but you're on the schedule to be interviewed. So let's get to know each other. By the end of that interview, I had talked my way into a job. Now, it required a college degree, but I talked my way around that. It required some experience, but I talked my way around that. And I was able to, let's just say, throw caution to the wind, regardless of what the requirements were, and convince Todd to give me a chance as a lowly entry-level loan officer. And it was from that position as an entry-level loan officer that I worked my way up to end up being a senior vice president with 1,100 employees at the world's biggest bank at the time. And that was fun. And it was full of adventures and stories that I probably can't tell on here and crazy things until all of a sudden it wasn't when 2007, 2008. And Nick, I had to go from a motivated, sales-driven, positive, competitive atmosphere to an atmosphere where the wind was just taken out of everybody's sail. There's not a mortgage in sight to be made. All the homes were getting foreclosed on. And I spent a year flying around, getting up first thing in the morning, getting the first flight out of town as in Minneapolis at the time, flying to some random city like you know, Rapid City, South Dakota, you know, you name it, walking into a bank branch and saying, hey, guys, I'm really sorry, but I'm here to shut you down today. And I will meet with each one of you individually. I will let you know what your severance is and answer any questions you have. And Nick, I had to spend a year flying around doing that. And I laid off about a thousand people one by one by one. And needless to say, it's the worst, most miserable year of my life. And I gained 30 pounds doing that because when you're on the road, you're doing miserable things. You, what do you do? You go back to the hotel and you just eat food and you drink, right? So I gained 30 pounds. I was unhealthy. I was unhappy because I was unhappy and miserable. My marriage was unhappy and miserable and something had to give. So finally, it became my turn. After a year of doing that, my boss called me in, said, hey, man, we need a meeting. And I knew what it was about. And it was my boss, my boss's boss there. And I said, hey, we want to give you a real opportunity. You know, times are tough. We want to give you a demotion of a demotion of a demotion of a demotion and run this branch way over here in Jersey. Remember, I'm living in Minneapolis at the time. Or you can have a severance package. I said, give me the severance package. And I remember my boss's boss, his name was Paul Elmer, great guy. He says, well, you sure? Don't you want to go home and talk to Lori about it? And I said, nope, trust me. We need a change. I've become so miserable here that it's making Lori miserable. And we need this fresh start. Now, Nick, I don't want to ramble, but this brings us to a really important part of the story that I that I think is going to be timely for some people as we go through another tough economy right now. And that is this. I had to go home and tell my wife, hey, babe, lost my job today. We had an idea this was coming. So that wasn't a big surprise. But the news that she didn't quite know was that we were living way beyond our means, right? Because right before the recession hit, I was getting a promotion or two every year. We're getting massive bonuses. I used to brag, I'm not spending this year's money. I'm spending next year's money. Now, obviously, that's a very ignorant thing to say. But when you're young and you're in your upper 20s, it's just this bravado, right? And I said, babe, 
We've been living way beyond our means. And we have to sell this big house that we just finished building. We have to get rid of the cars, get rid of the rental part. We have to start from zero. And you never know how someone's going to handle news like that. She looked at me. She paused for a while. And she said, Chris, I'm never going to let this happen again. And that was the moment that Lori finally became Lori Harder, as everybody knows her today. That was the moment that she fitness, started winning all the titles, got all the magazine covers, you know, started fitness brands, the whole nine yards. And with rock bottom moment, Nick, she went to became who she is today. And I wouldn't have gotten that fresh start to become who I am today. Incredible story. And, and, you know, you, you talk about 2007, 2008. I mean, I, I started getting in real estate back then and, and I got slammed. I went through along with my wife, went through some things too with, with moving and such. And, and, uh, yeah, that was a uh, tough times. I have an incredible times. story, you know, talk about being down and out. And again, this is relevant to a lot of people that are either in a tough time right now or, or about to face one. And. I remember we short sold the house before everybody was short selling homes. I like the joke that I made it popular. For those that are listening that don't know, it means you sell your house for less than you, you owe on it. And so it, we didn't require a sign out front. Bank listed it. It sold right away because it was something like 150000 less than we had just built it for. And someone scooped it up right away. And so moving trucks pull up in front a couple of days later. And I'm on my knees in like the mud room packing some boxes with the movers. And I hear behind me, hey, what's going on, man? So I turn around and I look up, remember I'm on my knees, and I look up and here's Greg, the across the street neighbor. And Greg was always kind of an awkward dude, but he was standing above me. And he says, man, what's going on? I see moving trucks out front. I didn't see a, a for sale sign. What's going on? I said, well, I lost my job a little while back. We had to short sell the house. We're starting over from below zero. So we're going to go move into a tiny little mother-in-law suite loft type of thing in uptown Minneapolis and, and start over. And he looked at me, standing over me. And he said, man, what would you go and do something like that for? You're going to bring all the values down in the neighborhood, referring to me short selling the house. That was his response to me being on my hands and knees, packing a box, going through the roughest time of my life. And Nick, I will tell you, I. I will not convince anybody that those were good times. I will not convince anyone that it felt good. I will not convince anybody that you're going to feel just fine going through that. But I will promise you this. That becomes fuel. That becomes like a chip on the shoulder. That becomes a moment that you don't forget where you say, never again. Like, you just watch. And you go from this moment where you're stripped of your identity and stripped of you know, my identity used to be how many people did I manage and what was my next promotion and what car was I driving to what office and right. You get stripped of all of the BS identity. And the blessing is when you got nothing left, you get to choose again. You get to choose how do I want to add value to the world this time? How do I want to show up this time? What do I want to say is important to me this time? And that became, you know, around the age of 30 or so, that became probably one of the most important moments of my entire life. Wow. Good share, man. Appreciate you sharing that. And, and, uh, yeah, I can relate because we went through some crazy stuff too. And, and I've never shared this, but we short sold our home as well. Did the same thing. And, you know, I, I understood it and the process. And my first thought was I was ashamed because I did not want to bring value down in the neighborhood. I knew it was going to. And, uh, I, I was 
thinking about the backlash, just what your neighbor did, because I felt felt terrible. But it was the situation that we were in, the the properties that we had, they all dropped in value. You know, all the equity I thought I had or did have at one time was lost. And I had to start dumping. You know, there were t- tenants were in there and they 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 lost their jobs. They couldn't afford it, you know, and so on and so forth, man. It was uh it wasn't fun. Stressful time. You know, I was living beyond my means and, and, and I take responsibility for that. Yeah. But I did learn an important lesson during that time. See, I thought I did all the right things that everyone told you to do, especially back in the, like I said, nineties, early two thousands. I contributed, maxed out my 401k each year, got the company match. But what happened? 401k's got slashed in half. I bought a house, right? So that, uh, they always tell you the best investment you're going to make is your house and it'll go up in value. I did that and, and thought the more home I buy, the more it could go up in value. But then what happened? That value got cut by a, 30%, 40% and had short sell it. I did all these things that I thought were the right things to do, right? That society tells you are the right things to do. And it didn't work. And I thought, what the hell? This is what I was taught to do. These were the right things to do. And it just vanished overnight. So the lesson I took from that was you really need to make sure that you're well diversified. You really need to make sure that you're forging your own path. You really need to make sure that you are not at the mercy of somebody else making business decisions. You really need to make sure that you are the one that is controlling every single aspect of your own well-being. It is up to nobody but you to figure out how to have enough income sources so that if any one of your income sources today went away, you would not have to change your lifestyle tomorrow. And when we rebuilt, that was one of the many rules that I made for Lori and I. I said, going forward, we're going to make sure we have enough income sources, diverse income sources, so that if any one of them, even the biggest one dried up today, we would not have to change our lifestyle tomorrow. So again, you can find gold in these really dark moments. Good stuff, brother. So moving on from where you were at HSBC, you stayed in mortgages for a little bit, right? After that, you you want to talk about that path? Yeah. So remember, down and out, neighbors standing over me, short sold the home, listed our furniture on Craigslist, you know, car after car pulled up in front of the house, selling the couch, selling the TV for cash, using that cash to to prepay a year in a little mother-in-law suite in uptown Minneapolis. Like, I really want to paint that picture because it led to what was next. I got a call from Todd. And if you remember my story earlier in this podcast, there was a guy that hired me at HSBC. Got a call from Todd. He said, hey, listen, I started this little mortgage brokerage over here. And I know this sounds crazy because mortgage companies are imploding left and right. He said, but we spent a long time working together at HSBC back in the day. And I know you're good at the things that I'm not. And I know I'm good at the things that you're not. And I think if you came over here, we could really turn this thing into something special. I see opportunity. Now, Nick, I did not want to take that partnership. I did not want to stay in mortgages. I did not want to do anything. But remember, I was booted out of college and my only relevant experience was in banking, in a banking and real estate recession. So out of fear and thinking I had no other options, I went and I took that partnership. Now, Todd was right and Todd was also wrong. Todd was right in that over the next 36 months, while everyone else was closing their doors, we grew the heck out of that thing. We were lending over $300 million a year worth of our own money secured by warehouse lines that we had secured when everyone else's warehouse lines were shut down. We had 155 loan officers in seven states. We created a comp plan that basically gave us no overhead and only rewarded people that were producing. We were really, really killing it. And as the company got bigger and bigger and bigger and started moving faster and faster and faster, 
the very same reason that Todd thought we would be good together, right? The opposite skill sets, the opposite personalities became the big fissure in our relationship. It became the big divide. We had very different leadership styles. We had very different visions for where this thing should go. We had very different solutions to what to do when there's a delinquent loan, et cetera. And it became so toxic, our difference in vision and leadership, that I finally sold my portion of the mortgage bank to Todd and our partners for probably 5% of what they were worth. So did I have an exit? Yay, yes. Was it life-changing? No. I just took what I could get between a rock and a hard place and knew I had to get out of there because it was so toxic. And I came home and uh, Lori, of course, knew I was doing this. It wasn't like a surprise to her. I said, all right, babe, here we go. You've got your fitness thing going. It's going pretty good. And here's the irony. Remember what Todd said to me? I said, babe, if I do the things you're not good at <laughs> and you just lean into things you're good at, I think mm-hmm. that we can trust this. And <laughs> thankfully, it had a, a better, happier ending than that. Right. I learned something from that partnership. As you know, I have a business partner now. His name is Matt for Frello. Mm-hmm. And for those listening, Frello is a, a basically a two-sided marketplace for personal loans, small personal loans, five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks, thousand dollars, where we're matchmaking those with a need and those are the means to lend to the person with a need. Then we're backstopping all the loans. So to do this, I went and I got a business partner. His name is Matt, been a friend for a long time. Matt's a wildly successful guy, built his own tech company, sold it for over nine figures, the whole nine yards, got to keep his team. His team is now our team, the whole nine yards. But when I went to Matt and said, hey, I would like you to be my partner on this thing. Here's the vision. Because of my experience with Todd, had the wherewithal when he showed interest to say, let's go lock ourselves into a hotel venue. We went to Miami for three days. And let's put everything on the table if we think we're going to move forward and do this. Let's talk about what triggers each other. Let's talk about what our bad habits are. Let's talk about what our tendencies are. Let's talk about what our non-negotiables are. Let's talk about what our future visions are. Let's talk about, let's put everything that could possibly be a problem once this thing gets big and is moving quickly. And let's see if we could tolerate these differences. So we proactively had this conversation ahead of time. And I see so many people get into partnerships. They don't do this. They don't say, hey, here's the ugly side of me. Here's my bad habits. Here's what I know is going to probably piss you off. Here's what pisses me off. Here's what I build stories around. Most people don't go and put that stuff on the table in front of each other. Oh, my God, you're good at one, two, three. I'm good at ABC. This is going to be a success. And so after putting all that stuff on the table, we said, I can absolutely accept your flaws and you can absolutely accept mine. Let's rock and roll. And so now we have a partnership that we know is going to, it has been awesome for the past year and a half. And we know it's just going to get better as this thing gets bigger yeah. because we had the right conversations up front. Love it. How's the uh, investing going as far Good as the strategic investors? Yeah, for Fel. We're just about there. We're just over uh, three fifths of the way full. It's taken me longer than I thought. You know, I've got a friend, his name is Bill, and I've invested in Bill's company. It's called Outstanding Foods. And Bill has raised over $300 million for other people's companies in the past. That was his, his career. And then he's raised, I, I actually, I don't think I'm allowed to say it, but let's just call it a lot of money for Outstanding Foods. Huge vegan foods companies, killing it. And I went to Bill the other day and we we're having lunch. I said, man, I'm really beating myself up. You know, it's been like, Five, six months of fundraising. I thought this thing would be totally wrapped up by now. I can't believe it's like pulling teeth to get people to send their wires or to follow through on their docs and all this other stuff and blah, blah, blah. Now, for context, I'm only doing a strategic raise. 
Meaning somebody has to either have the business expertise that'll help us or the audience that'll contain our lenders or our borrowers so that we can save money on user acquisition. So we're not just taking anyone with a check. But that being said, I thought it would be done by now. And he looked at me and said, well, how much have you raised? I told him, I said, just over three-fifths of what we're raising so far. And he says, you're killing it. So do you know the number of professional fundraisers I know right now that can't scrape up a dollar? that say the wells are dry. The money's there, but everyone's sitting on the sidelines. Everyone's waiting for some kind of implosion. Everyone's waiting for some kind of golden opportunity. So no, it's just stagnant out there. Just stagnant out there. Banks have stopped lending, especially regional banks. Like there is no money trading hands. And so he said, you're actually doing really, really well. You're well, well on pace for where you should be. And that made me feel a lot better. And I have another friend, he's got a tech company. And he just raised at half the valuation that he thought he was going to raise at. And it it was like pulling teeth for him to find a, a fund that would invest in him when normally in the past he had funds approaching him. So it's a very different atmosphere out there right now. But again, I've drawn off of all these past lessons. You go to the people who are the experts in the space and you ask them for help sooner than later. You don't think you can do it all yourself. You set your ego aside. You You say, you raise your hand, you say, all right, you know, who out there can give me a, a referral, can connect me to an investor, you name it. And when you do those things, life just unfolds a little bit better for you. Yeah. I'm excited to be involved, brother. Dude, I love that you're involved. Yeah. Um, the I'm, concept I'm, I'm gets better and better every single time that we meet. The build is on time. The launch is on time. I'm, we're going to change the world. Yeah, man. It's so, so needed. And I can't wait till we get to the point where I can share with, with my people of, you know, what, what it's all about and, and uh, how it'll help so many people on both sides, investors and and people that need the loans. You mind if I share the story where it came from? Because there's kind of a cool lesson in there. So, you know, Frello, a friendlier loan, pairs people that need five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks with someone who's willing to lend it to them over the course of two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, 10, 12. We'll go up to 16 weeks, right? And we move the money back and forth and we insure the loan. So in case the, the person who lends to the stranger on the other side of the platform doesn't get paid back, we we reimburse it, et cetera. Everything's been thought through. And where this idea came from is, as you know, I've got a personal brand and, and, and a rather large podcast that's based on the common thread of generosity and people's success stories. When you have a personal brand that's based on generosity, people tend to slide into your DMs an awful lot and ask you and I mean, I get 50 to 100 of them per month of people saying, here's my hardship, could I have five bucks? Here's my hardship, could I have $1,000? And people are they're typically, you know, most of the time very polite about it. But because I don't know what's real and what's not real, Lori and I had to commit to doing our giving in different ways that are verifiable. So I had kind of a, a zero tolerance policy for giving in the DMs. That being said, I'm sitting in Santa Monica back when we lived there a few months ago, or a few years ago. And I got a DM and I got a feeling, Nick, like I have no other way to describe it other than a feel, a physical feeling that came down through my head into my heart and said, Hey, open this DM from this stranger. So I did. And the guy said, Hey, Chris, I listen to your show. Grateful for all that you put out there. I'm a landscaper and I'm really embarrassed to be sending this to you, but I'm two months behind on my landscape truck. And if I don't come up with $680 like yesterday, they're going to repossess my truck. And if they repossess my truck, then there are two great guys that work for me that are also going to lose their jobs. So is there any way that you would lend me $680? I promise I'll pay you back. Now, remember, I was just following a feeling. So I said, hey, listen, stranger, I won't lend you the money. I will give you the money. 
And all I ask is that you work really hard to turn it around, put yourself in a position to do this for somebody else one day. I believe in you. Here you go. And I PayPal them the money. Now, Nick, I thought I'd never hear from this guy again, ever. But about two months later, slid back into my DMs. And I'm thinking, oh, great, here he is. You know, uh, what's this sign at the park? Don't feed the pigeons. They'll keep coming back. I'm like, oh, boy, here, I, I did it. But instead of asking for more, he said, hey, Chris, I want to let you know what you did for me that day when you sent me the money. He said, I took the money. I got current on the truck. Those guys kept their job. And that's all. But something else happened that day. He said, when you told me all you wanted in return was for me to put myself in a position to do this for somebody else one day, he said, that lit a fire in me. I've gone absolutely crazy getting so many new landscape jobs that I'm excited to tell you I'm out to buy a second truck and hire two more guys. And Nick, I thought, my God, $680. Now, listen, not to, not to belittle $680. I understand that's a mountain to some people. But in the grand scheme of life, $680 is not a very big lever to create this big of a turnaround in somebody's life, right? And this guy had nowhere to go but a stranger whose show he listens to. He had nowhere to go but to reach out on Instagram. And this moment, this happening This became the seed that was planted in me that made me obsess over how do I solve this problem for all the guys like him? And how do I match make him with all the guys like us that are willing to bet on somebody? And how do I protect that bet and incentivize them to do so? And and that became the two-sided marketplace of Frello, which we're launching this summer. And I just can't wait. I love it. I love it. It gave me the chills, man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, my pleasure. But really the lesson there is follow your hunches, guys. Follow your gut feelings. You don't know what uh, you know. multi-billion-dollar idea is going to be on the other end. Good stuff. So I want to move to your executive life and career coaching. You know how that came about and where you are with that today. So I see it as working full uh, two full-time jobs right now. The personal brand is where we coach entrepreneurs through events. We're truly an events company. So the podcast uh, kind of gathers everybody, if you will. Then we use the podcast to make these offerings of these two-day events or year-long masterminds and that kind of thing. Now, that personal brand is kind of what pays for the lifestyle. Here's how we've divided up our finances. Lori's personal brand and my personal brand. It pays for the lifestyle and it pays for our investments. Lori and I invest in five startups every single year. It pays for our boring low-fee index funds. They're just on automatic deposit. Like It pays for all of that. And then my second full-time job, that's bringing Frello to life with Matt. Now, Matt and I are co-CEOing this thing. Matt's the internal CEO because it was his team that he brought over. I'm the external, let's call it monkey, doing the song and dance and all the podcast interviews and all that type of stuff to, to make it popular. Marketing, yeah. Yep. And uh, those two things together, I have never been busier, but I've also never been happier. Yeah. My wife, same thing. She's going through a moment right now you know, she's got a brand new company that she just pivoted and launched. There's a good story behind that one too, where it's literally a skin routine you can drink. Like these powdered sticks that people drink right now, Element and Liquid IV, it replaces those, but it is for your skin and hair and nails and all that. So we are in the thick of launching our startups and we are in the thick of also maintaining our personal brands. And I'll tell you, there are some days where I have emptied everything in the tanks and then some. And you would think that would make us unhappy. You'd think that would create some kind of stress. You'd think that'd create some kind of problem. Uh-uh. I wake up earlier than ever every day now, like by on my own without an alarm clock. I, w- I wake up hyper. I wake up excited. I might be tired at the end of the day, but damn, am I satisfied? And I know the same is true for Lori right now as well. 
And I really think that there's, there's an important message in there that it's not sitting around doing nothing that makes you happy. It's not having all the free time that makes you happy. It's not, it's not getting your way all the time that makes you happy. It's the pursuit of a dream. It's the pursuit of creating something. It's building something that makes humans happy. It's being a part, being on the journey towards a goal that makes humans happy. And I think people get that wrong sometimes. People wish that they're already at the finish line. Or people wish that they didn't have this job or they didn't have this thing or they didn't have that thing. And they have to step back and take a a good look from the outside looking in and remind themselves that happiness comes from the pursuit of a worthwhile cause. It does not come from already getting there. Yep. Love it. Love it. I want to circle back to your no alarm clock. How long has it been where you haven't been using alarm clock? Because it's been a while for me as well. We still set an alarm clock. That once in a while, it'll go off. But this new thing is happening for me where we're waking up. Now, I'm not a morning guy. I need to preface this. Some people biologically are morning people. I am the opposite. And in the past, I would typically get up 6.30 to 7, somewhere in there. This morning, we woke up at 5.10 on our own. Yesterday at 5 o'clock on our own. We're popping out of bed at 5 something. We always set the, the alarm clock as an emergency backup for 6 o'clock, right? But we are beating that thing by a mile every single morning, springing out of it. Now, part of it is we have a new one-year-old sheep doodle His name is Bonkers, and we should have named him something else, like Calm or or Sleepy or something like that, because he's literally Bonkers. Like we we manifested that ourselves, unfortunately. And he's Lori calls him Big Heavy because he's just big and heavy, even though he's only a year old. And the minute he sees us stirring, he jumps into bed and he just paws you across the face like a grizzly bear would. I mean, we have more scratches and scars from this guy than, than you could ever imagine. We literally get wounded in the morning when he wakes us up. But well, the combination, well, okay. Okay. as you was going to say, the combination of being excited about life and, and having yeah. this guy jump into bed, uh, in the morning, it's, that's got us on a good schedule. What made you invest in a doggy? Cause so we're, we're, always, we're, we're dog lovers, man. Yeah. We've always had dogs. You know, we don't have kids yet. Uh, we've been trying really hard over the last few okay. years. Hasn't worked out for us, mm-hmm. uh, but we have dogs long before that. Since okay. day one, we had gotcha. dogs. Okay, and we have a, we have two dogs right now. Uh, they're both sheep doodles, like big oh. sheep. Doodles. One of them is named Bananas. That's the first one. He's coming up on four years old, and then Bonkers is one years old. Well, one of the things about sheep doodles is they are so over the top needy, like it's a breeding thing that they will drive you crazy because they need your attention 24-7. And we thought, this is nuts. We can't get anything done. We said, Bananas needs a dog. We didn't need a second dog. Our dog needed a dog. So we went out with that bonkers. And those two are absolute homies, absolute best friends. It's the best movie we've ever made. Any extra work having a second dog has been more than offset by these guys just keeping each other busy now. (laughs) Hey, guys, it's Nick. I have a short message from our sponsor, MPC Builders. With well over 40 years of combined construction-related experience in both the residential and commercial markets, MPC Builders services the New Jersey and Philadelphia metro areas. Check out our website at mpcbuilders.net or you can call me directly at 856-217-1750 And I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about your construction project.
So I want to now move into your podcasting career. And you originally had a podcast name for the love of money. Did that transition over to the Chris Harder show? And and just talk a little bit about, you know, the start of that, which was in 2017, it appears, and now, you know, where you're at with the show. By the way, I just saw you have over 850 episodes. I mean, I don't even know another handful of podcasters that have that many, you know, that I listen to. It's it's incredible. And and I and I li- listen often. I mean, I just I just love it. When you adopted the shorter podcast, you know, when you started doing that's what I love. The 15 minute, 20 minute, even the 10 minute ones, they're fantastic. I really appreciate that feedback. You know, I'll talk about the the name transition in a moment, but there's a lesson here for people. Sometimes life happens for you, right? And I used to do long form interviews and I'll still do them once in a while for a friend or something like that. If you have a book coming out or whatever, but the switch to the short form, 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute rift, it really was born out of when my dad passed away unexpectedly in June of 2020. You know, uh, dad passed away. And at that point, the podcast was about three and a half years old, four years old and uh, three and a half, I guess. And it just flipped my world upside down. We were so close and this was so unexpected. And I immediately didn't think I ever wanted to work again. I didn't think I wanted to do anything. Like all the wind was taken on my sails. But I wasn't ready to throw everything away. I wasn't ready to just quit. So what I did was I knew I wasn't in the state of mind to interview anyone. I canceled all my interviews. I said, I'm sorry, my father passed away, canceling all my interviews. But instead of taking time off, I understood the power of consistency if you think you're going to want to do something later. So even though I was going through one of the hardest times in my life, I switched to doing the bare minimum to at least stay consistent. And at that time, the bare minimum was going from these hour-long interviews to where we're talking about people, you know, what was your success story? How'd you make your money? Where does generosity come into play? To just these 10-minute riffs on whatever was on my mind, whatever I wanted to teach or whatever was important to me. And I thought I was doing it just to get through this tough time. And it ended up being so popular and so enjoyable for me that I've just stuck in, stuck with that format forever. Now, people told me, man, you got to do interview shows. People told me, oh, your, your ratings are going to go down. Your downloads are going to go down. People told me you got to have big guests to have a successful success. And none of that was true. None of that was true. What people want out of you, whether you're a podcaster or not, is people want to know you're going to show up when they expect you to show up. People want consistency out of you. People want value, whether it's a minute of value or an hour of value. And people want to know that you care. If you can deliver that to people, you're going to be just fine. And so that's that was the shift of the show. Now, the shift of the title was in the beginning, I wanted a real controversial title that told people, here's what the show is about. And, you know, pro tip, when you start a show, it has to be that way. You have to... Pick or look at your Spotify for a podcast listener or, or Apple iTunes. The title has to tell you why you might give that show a chance. So for the love of money was for people that wanted to understand about making money and, and, and succeeding in business. And the very thing that is what propels you at first in order to make it clear for people say that is for me or that is not for me. Also, we eventually became a lid, like picture a lid on a, a pot that's starting to boil and it's starting to boil over. Something's got to give, right? Well, it was a lid because there were other things I wanted to start to talk about. And there were some guests that were like, eh, I don't like to title that show. I don't want to be on. And there are some people that 
I remember once in a while, people would share the show on Instagram and tag me, not realizing quite what they're saying. They'd say, don't let the title bug you. This is a great episode. Give it, you got to listen to blah, blah. I'm like, wow, I hear that a lot. This title really bugs people. So I knew it was holding people back from listening to the show. So the desire to talk about a broader range of things combined with you know realizing I needed to take that lid off is when we switched to the Chris Harder show. Now, if anybody out there is starting a personal brand though, or any kind of brand, you can't start with a generic name like that because nobody gave a, a rat's ass who Chris Harder was. You have to first get the pot boiling before you remove the lid. Build that brand, yeah. Yeah, I didn't even realize that you had that other name, but then I'm looking over your your LinkedIn you know, profile and just uh, wanted to ask you about that. Interesting. Good stuff. So outside of Frella, which I know you're extremely excited about, and you and your wife also put together this three dinner, which you want to talk about, because I, I think that's that's really cool, especially for, you know, people that are in your guys realm of of online entrepreneurs and and just just what it's about. It's 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 really neat. We created something this year that is probably the best thing we've ever created and is born out of realizing, hey, there's some tough times ahead. And the shortcut to success is who, you know, not what, you know, and. One of the things that Lori and I have become known for over the years is our network from A-list celebrities to some of the most famous entrepreneurs in the world to people you would never know of in your life, but the most talented, kind individuals that would be there and help you out. From that entire range, they're all in our network. And we realized that in a year coming up where there's probably going to be some headwinds, heck, there's already headwinds out there, right? People's fastest way to solve those headwinds, to solve what they need, to get a connection, to find a hire, to find a business partner, to to find a support. All of those answers are in our network. So we said, let's put together an unapologetic networking event that we called the dinner series. It's three half days of networking exercises, right? So picture everybody in a room and it is straight up saying, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I can offer, but also here's what I need. And pairing these people together through a series of exercises that we built. So we spend a half a day doing that. Then we go into an elegant high-end dinner. Remember, there's incredible people that have signed up for this. So you're going to be meeting people that you wish you always could have collaborated with. And it's going to be a year of anybody who wants to join up-leveling their network literally overnight. You know, every Lori and I are famous for always saying, if you ever come to one of our events, everything you need should be in that room or one introduction away. And this is truly an embodiment of that. Everything you need this year to succeed. You need a connection to a referral. You need a customer. A lot of people join because they know there's going to be customers or clients in the dinner series. You need an agency of some sort. You need an expert of some sort, whether it's a HR expert, a marketing expert, a digital marketing, a podcast expert, you name it. Whatever you need, there's no more guessing around in the dark trial and error. Is this person good? Is this person not good? You know, am I going to get ripped off? Am I going to get scammed? Because these are only people in our network. And so you can move forward knowing that whatever you need is literally in this room this year over the course of these three days and three dinners or one introduction away. And so we just decided to pull this container together and kind of see what kind of magic can come out of it. Yeah. Well done with the presentation and, and just how you put it out there. Really, 
really interesting stuff. I haven't seen anything like it. So outside of your brand building, your, your marketing, everything that you do, what do you like to do for fun? Your hobbies? You know, I was so blessed to, and be able to marry like my absolute soulmate. The more hanging out that we can do together, the better. Now, this is not going to sound so much fun to other people, but just grabbing a couple of couples and going out to dinner is a blast for us. We will just go in for walks, Lori and I and the dogs for all day. Like we will walk out of the front of our place here in California and we won't, you know, at 10 a.m. We won't return till 6 p.m. And we'll have covered 10, 11, 12 miles for the day with the dogs and stopped at shops and stopped at restaurants and just explored. That is a blast for us. Just burning time together, spending time together. So that's one of the things. Another thing I absolutely love to do is, is we love traveling. I like it more than Lori. Lori tolerates a little bit more, but if he, I am a road trip king. Like, give me a bus, give me a sprinter van, give me a car. I don't care. I love road trips. Uh, if you ask Lori what her favorite uh, thing to do is, you know, we spent all summer wake surfing, just being out on that boat. We, we'll work all day long and around four o'clock cut out. We'll just wake surf until the sunset and then go throw something on the grill every single day. We're just active. There's nothing glamorous. There's nothing crazy. We do glamorous things, I guess. We do cool things, I guess, but they're never intentional. We just end up in those circumstances. If you ask us what we want to do with our free time, it's literally just hanging out. Yeah, man, I can relate. So if someone wants to get into what you're doing, podcasting, entrepreneurship, you know, What's your advice for someone just to how they get to that point, whether it's an unconventional path of, of not taking college, whether they even want to be in, in my field. But what is your your suggestion, your advice on how they develop that and get to where they want to be? First of all, you are worthy to pursue any kind of crazy idea that you have. And I would even say you're a bit obligated to because the traditional path usually doesn't end up great for most human beings. The traditional path typically means you're just getting by no matter how hard you work. So if you're going to really work hard, why not work hard at pursuing your own dream, your own idea, something where you get to control the outcome? So if you've got that hunch, if you've got that inclining, if you've got that interest, by all means, pursue it and pursue it like yesterday. You know, burn the boats, take the risk. You can always find your way back. Lori and I have been rich and poor and everything in between. And trust me, you can always find your way back. And if you're a happy person, you're going to be happy rich. And if you're a happy person, you're going to be happy poor. So don't worry about losing everything. You'll figure out how to get it back. But take that risk because if you listen earlier, I was saying the enjoyment of life is the journey itself. And so if people want to get into having a personal brand, if they want to get into starting that small business, if they want to get into anything, step one, get really clear on what outcome you want, really clear what your product is, and then work backwards from there. Step two, figure out, okay, if I want to end up here selling this, then working backwards, how am I going to build it? Where am I going to get the materials or knowledge for it? Where am I going to assemble the people I need to make this happen? So I'm not guessing in the dark, but instead tapping into experts. Where am I going to find the time for this? What am I willing to give up in life to pursue it? You want to know what holds people back the most? That truck payment that they don't need, that mortgage payment because they're so afraid to live in a smaller house for a while, right? Worrying what the neighbors might think, staying at that job that you don't like or or working that second job because you're afraid to give up a, a big Christmas full of Christmas gifts because you don't want to have to explain to the, the kids why you know you, you pulled back a little bit on Christmas. Like The thing that holds people back from pursuing a life that they would actually be much happier with is that they are so caught up 
in having to pay for things that are no longer giving them fulfillment, that they're not willing to take that step back like Lori and I did and get a running start. Sometimes the best thing you can do is strip yourself of the things you think are making you happy, that you're already kind of over. Strip yourself of those things and give yourself a little bit of runway to go after what's really going to matter in life. Build that widget. Start that business. Carve out the time to do that service. Because the pursuit of that and the building of that, even when you're having your worst days, even when you don't know where to turn to next, even when you don't know where to, to, to get the next step, even in those times, the pursuit of that is the happiest you're ever going to be, I promise you. And we live in a day and age where the ability to start something, a product, a service, a business, has never been easier. The barrier of entry has never been smaller. There's not a single thing that you can't Google and figure out how to do. YouTube will teach you how to do anything in the world. So paying for knowledge is no longer an excuse. Accessibility to know-how is no longer an excuse. Time is not an excuse if you're willing to part with a few things that are eating up your time right now. The barrier of entry to do things in an efficient manner is faster than ever. You want to bring a product to life? Manufacturing is easier than ever. Drop shipping is easier than ever. So if you ever had an inclining to start that company, build that app, build that product, create those supplements, do that podcast. I know it feels intimidating, but it's never been easier to just take one step at a time. Let Google and YouTube be your best friends and don't be afraid to ask for help. So very well said. And and now with AI, AI technology, it's going to get even easier. It's going to get the even stuff easier. I'm seeing my friends use just wild right now. Wild. In every industry. I mean, it's just incredible. And and for those of you that are uncomfortable with it, I want you to understand something. Even though I'm building a tech company, I am so tech adverse, it would blow your mind. Right? Matt, my partner, he's the tech expert. Mm -hmm. We all need a tech guy. Yeah. But the point (laughs) is this. It's still not an excuse to not learn basics of where the world's going. No one's going to save you. No one's going to, you know, drag you along. No one's going to quote, come to your rescue. You are responsible for keeping up, even if it's out of your comfort zone, because it is out of mind. You are responsible for learning the basics, or you will be left behind in a time where the world is changing faster than we have ever, ever. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be so different in five years. I mean, no. The way AI is growing. Well, hey, man. This was, wow, that was the fastest 55 minutes, I think, ever. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did it ever. So please just give your contact information, anything you want to share that anyone wants to, you know, follow you, reach out to you. Yeah. So you can find me at chrisharder.me. Again, that's chrisharder, H-A-R-D-E-R, dot me. That's where the podcast lives. It's where our products live, the whole nine yards. You can follow me on Instagram at Chris W. Harder. I vow to answer any business questions that somebody throws in my DMs as long as I see them. And I think my favorite thing to do is I text everybody a positive business perspective or a positive money mantra every single morning when I wake up. And uh, I, I literally text thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single morning. So if you want to start your day you know, with seeing the world through an abundant set of lenses, so to speak, then I'll throw you on the list. All you got to do is just text me first. So text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. And that's how I know to put you on the list. So text me the word daily. You literally just type daily and send it to me at 
310-421-0416. Love it, brother. And I just got to say, if anyone is looking for new podcasts to listen to, please check out Chris because it's the amount of value that he offers in every episode. I mean, it's my most listened to podcast and it has been for, I think, well over a year now. And as real as this guy is, you know, I can call him a friend. I've only met him twice, but we do, we do communicate, you know, quite often uh, via socials and what have you. I went out to my Eagles Super Bowl in Arizona and I just happened to let him know I'm coming out. Didn't know if he was there or not, or he took the time to meet me for breakfast. I mean, as real as they come. And Chris, I so appreciate you, man. Man, right back at you. I really appreciate the heck out of you. I'm really excited to see where our friendship goes. Absolutely. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Constructing Greatness podcast. If you enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at nicholasofac at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.